0: I am Merrily, host of Cosmic Brilliance. Thanks for being here and for being curious and interested enough in expanding your consciousness and knowledge base, even if occasionally there are some tough topics that aren't comfortable to listen to, but are important for our greater awareness and discernment capacities, which allow us to make wiser decisions, of course. Today's topic with guest Tony Rodriguez is one such subject that has been minimized and ignored as a top priority to address, but more and more experiencers are coming forward to truth-tell. Alex Collier, as many of you know, I love his quote that he said about Earth. Earth is boot camp for discernment. Ain't that the truth? Uh, The evolved Andromedans advised us over and over again. Humans, keep your innocence and drop your naivete. So as we know, innocence is a beautiful quality and quite natural for us compassionate mammal types when we are born. And as we grow up, we are often shocked by what we experience and learn and what is going on indeed on this planet because our full capacity and memories had been shut down. That is all changing now as we awaken to the truth of our being and what's been going on behind the scenes on our sacred planet. We can no longer afford to just turn our heads because it's convenient or because something's uncomfortable. No more ignoring and no more denying, please. We need to grow up and stand up unified. I know most of you, our audience are sophisticated and are choosing to unify and do that and I thank you very much. As a researcher, it is my duty to present different sides of any issue, and especially if there's much evidence to back that up. My personal discernment has been continually honed, oh my God, as long as I keep a dedication to expanding my mind and heart, which entails learning the truth of what's been going on behind the scenes. After occasional shocks, After what I learned, it has helped me to end confusion, however, or cognitive dissonance, because that knowledge helped me put the hidden pieces of the puzzle together and explained why and who was recreating over and over these continual divisions, war and strife on this planet. Because we all know in our hearts that this is inherently not normal or right. So. I would now like to introduce Tony Rodriguez, who is a 20-year experiencer in the Secret Space Program's Intergalactic, Slave Trade and Human Trafficking, and who I have found to be humble, sincere, honest, and incredibly courageous. Welcome, Tony, and thank you for stepping forward to educate us with your life
1: experiences. Really, Hi, thank you so much for having me. That's like one of the best introductions I've ever had. I'm just, I'm like thrilled. I like everything you said. I'm like I feel like I'm sitting in the audience. So, thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, um, thank you. And um you know the first thing that just popped into my head to ask you was do you have any idea or approximation of how many children are involved in this worldwide in the slave trade, sex, human trafficking, what's your best guesstimate? Because I know most people just go, oh yeah, that's too bad that's happening and it's a few people, you know?
1: Most people could have had it happen to them and wouldn't know. So right. when you when you I've done I've given this a lot of thought, like what kind of numbers are we talking about here? And the the reality is that something you know we've heard from other people, whistleblowers, actually more than one source, not just one whistleblower, but several have come out and said the number of something like 2 to 3% of all the people that go retain their memories because of of uh, one aspect of the technology that they brush up against. And what i found in my own research, so I never set out to be a researcher, but it was thrown in my lap because people come to me and want to speak about it, you know the trauma that they've gone through as well. And the people that I've worked with, I've found that uh, the people that were taken tend to be taken in the early 80s or you know in the eight from the from 80s to 90s are more likely to retain memory where you know, when you get people that were taken at it younger you know more recently in the mid to late 90s to the 2000s they really don't have their memory but they have they have um events that happen in their day-to-day life they see they have the sightings like there was a ufo i saw a gray in my house and then I don't remember what happened. They don't retain their memories because they probably got refined. The local the local programs, the human programs that are taking people, which is the military and the black budget military, those people have probably upgraded and got better at deleting blank, blank slating memory. So in the early 80s, they weren't as proficient at it. So you got more people coming forward for them. So get back to your question about the number of people. I, uh, I arrived at a number um, because I thought about the system that I went through. I, you know, it was industrialized. And so there were a crew of three, three to f- three to five, you know, like two would come in and go. And the entire process that I was intaked in might have been four hours. So when you figure three guys can take one guy in four hours and they can work two or three shifts. So three a day per crew. And then when you when you do the math on that and you stretch it out, you um, you know they could have 20 or 30 such crews in one base and 20 or 30 bases it's it quickly gets up to 200 or 300,000 a month and then been doing it for the last 50 years so the number is staggering of how many people could have been intaked into just the position that I was into a 20-year program either using cloning or the age regression technology I'm not sure but um, using those technologies to take people and then put them back how they found them without any memories of their service that they experienced so It's a very vast, very huge workforce that they're acting that they're taking, and when you really think about the resources involved and versus the output of the labor, it's a very profitable venture. And when you talk about that kind of those kind of numbers, it makes perfect sense why they want to keep the world in the dark and keep us where we're exactly where we're at. Like that, like just that explains ufology in a nutshell. So,
0: the number
1: is huge. The number is huge.
0: Exactly, I agree with that. Now, I. In my research, um, it seems that those that are going to re- slowly remember their memories, it's usually around age forty. Have you found any association with that also? So that might be why the earlier people that were involved with this are now remembering.
1: So that's that's also correct. So what I'm, I wanna I wanna frame this. I mean, I wanna I gotta unwind this a little bit. So I because I don't wanna speak about things that I'm not sure of as fact you get what I'm saying? Like I, like I said, it, it was thrown in my lap that I was a researcher and I've worked with a few thousand people since i came public with my story in 2016. A few thousand people have contacted me and I personally spoke to them. And so you learn, you get to see common denominators. Like as any researcher, they're not looking for a smoking gun, you know, like, do you have a ray gun with you that you brought back? Do you have pictures? Nobody has that. So they're looking for common denominators, things that people say, that are unique that other people say that there's no way they could have known. you get what I mean? Like yes. those common denominators exactly. and, and what you get those you do get those repeatedly. And they, they identify not only that the person was in a program, but that they, what program they were in or who took them. But so there are programs that take people that could go twice. They go once yes, for 20, 20 years and back. then back, and then they live their 20 years. And then again, at the end of the 20 years, they take them again and they go And that's based on solely on genetics. So there's a genetic marker that allows that to happen without damaging the person. There are laws around it. So they don't take people and just kill them. And they don't take people and just anybody that can't do the program because there is a galactic uh, law around it, so. um,
0: Yes, that was one of the terms. uh, For you newbies out there, uh, I'm going to have him define terms, especially 20 and back, because it's a key process. Um, and you have to understand that, especially in the super soldier augmented variety, they've spent a hundred million dollars on some of those guys and women, and so you become an ass set, <laughs> asset, you know. And they want to maximally utilize you. And I actually talked to one gal who's done three twenty and backs, if you can believe that.
1: So there are several forms of the technology. You're told that it can't go, but there are other ETs that come in with their own version of the technology. And some people can do multiple tours many times and for shorter times. So there are many things. I will say this, that I I didn't discover this, but just working with other researchers, um, they found that most people don't get their, the people that do get their memories back, such as myself, don't get their memories back until after the episode is completely over. So I was taken at 10. And I went till 30, and then back to 10, and then lived into my 40s before I got my memories back. I think I was 44. I'll be 50 this week. Uh, it's my birthday week. But um, and then 2016, so that's 60, 40, 44 years old is when I got my memories back. So I went for, so 14 years after the episode was completely over before I got my memories, um, my recall happened. I did have memories. I had I had memories that bled through, but they didn't make sense. And yeah. then the, they all gelled together. Uh, all in like May, uh, April, yeah, May of 2015 was when I had the big recall, the big incident.
0: It's interesting. It was 44 to kind of being an interesting number in numerology.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about it for the, yeah. to, to remark, yeah. but it was, it was about two weeks after I had an MRI scan and coincidentally came across Randy Kramer's information and he explained the 20 and back. He explained the time that you go, and I always remember the abduction. I remembered scenes of the abduction and scenes of, they were memories, not dreams. And I thought, man, that couldn't have happened. You know, I've said this many times before. I, I just couldn't put the time, like how long I was gone. And when you take people that are alien, you know, ET abduction, ET abducted people that they say, look, I, I saw ET, I was abducted, something happened, and then I don't know what happened. I woke up in my house the next day. When you act, when you factor this in. You know, most of those people just don't know that they were gone much, much longer than what they thought they were, you know, because they it's vague. It's the same story over and over again. It seems like they can't really delete the first few minutes of the abduction, but those memories t- re- tend to remain. And then people are taken. So I just got my memories back, you know, for from I think I was I think I was a result of many factors that brought it wasn't one thing that jogged my memory. It was, it was many things.
0: And I would think also, this is my guess. I don't want to put words in your mouth that you've also been helped and assisted. Absolutely. Okay.
1: Okay. Absolutely. So okay. that, that is going to be the focus. I, it might be early to talk, plug my book, but <laughs> yeah. it's doing good. So I have my book out and we, because it's been received so well that we are working on a second one. The second book is going to be more towards kind of like a spiritual side um, series colony Cavalier Uh it's been in and out of number one bestseller. So I can say that I was a bestselling author from once. That feels really good for the la- but it's only been out a month or so. Um, but because it's done well, the, the focus of this book was kind of just to make my story because my interviews jump all over the place and this kind of gives the whole time, the whole incident from start to finish. And the second book is going to be aspects of it that happened that I've never told really anybody that are more spiritual, more personal, And with um, Jackie Kenner, who we kind of intertwined together, we're best friends, and her own experiences. So the book is going to be an excerpt of many short stories with a common story going through it. It's in the works, and it's going to explain where the help came from, because I believe that there was a contact I had at one point uh, with ET Contact where I inspired them to help me. Because I've been very fortunate thus far since I've gone public. So there are many bad things that could have happened that haven't. Knock on wood. And so,
0: detected at a certain level. We're going to cover that. Okay, folks, just so you know, the general plan is we're going to have him define a couple terms for the newbies. Then he's going to go through a vast array of experiences. So sit comfortably. And then at the end, we're going to talk a little bit more about those higher consciousness, sacred experiences, and a few little teasers for his second book that he's in the process of writing. And he's also, by the way, uh, we'll mention this again at the end. Uh, One of the things that I so respect Tony for is the fact that he has taken all of this and transmuted it into service for others and helped them. He has a uh, class to help regain your memories. He's also defined the different experiencers into three different categories, and he'll fill you in on that at the end. But he's really Step forward, encourage, and as a result, as he said, he's gotten over two thousand people so far responding, so and that's just going to be the tip of the iceberg, right, Tony
1: to <laughs> be well, I always wondered when's this when is this going to stop? when do people quit contacting me and it's hey, you know out. it's an average it's two or three a week basically that contact me and say, "Look, I, you know I saw your interview, and this is what happened to me, and it's like um. There are always common denominators There are always things that they don't realize they're telling me that someone else did that, else did that somebody else did that somebody else did that's always it's a threat common threat so these these people are genuine you know these are things that can't be explained away by people you know you can't just explain it away saying that people are crazy or whatever reason uh-huh. you know what i'm saying that it, and to be fair i mean to anybody watching this it makes total sense you're a researcher it makes total sense to be skeptical there's a healthy skepticism i found that most skeptics that want to engage me are just emotional and they immediately threaten violent they want to beat me up they don't want to they don't want to have a really discord because that that opens them up to having their mind changed and most people aren't into that but it would be absolutely weird if nobody was skeptical when i said these things so i i i think skepticism is healthy and i'm i'm open to having a talk with anybody because i would never speak about this if i didn't have a ton of evidence
0: Yes. Yeah. And I would never have you on the show if I, d- I didn't have at least two other people who have shared similar information.
1: Oh, wow. So there we go. So that's that, how I play. That's how Well, and this is the common thing though. Like, and like you said, like there are more and more people have common things that there's no way that they could have got together to fake it. And then why would they do it anyway? So yeah.
0: I always ask them, do you know this other person? And they go, no, No, I don't. You know. So, Mm -hmm. anyway, okay. So let's continue. Um, Now, we're going to go through some terms for the newbies. Okay. So the first thing is to describe what the series planetoid is and used for. That sits between Mars and Jupiter. And here's a picture, folks.
1: So there's my old stomping grounds. There was a so my my account is of living there for about almost twelve years. And inside series are a, uh, a series of inner caverns that the breakaway germans or the Deutsch colony went there under agreement with a the orion group which gave them domain there and there are two other et species that live there with them full time and it's about 580 miles in diameter uh, it's a very it's a micro or a dwarf planet and uh, the largest asteroid in fact and it's in between mars and the asteroid belt and it has an omlogue orbit means the the orbit of all the planets goes this way, and Ceres kind of goes this way. Um, it has an oblong uh, orbit, and there's oceans of water inside of it, and it's made of what do they call it? Silica carb- carbate? I forget the word of it, but it's basically chalk. It's it's a giant pile of chalk in the sky, and it's got with with an ocean of water inside of it. So, um, I remember there there's the uh, the geyser. So. Um, NASA suspected a geyser, but they really didn't prove it when with the Dawn mission. But in 2015, before the mission went there, I remembered the geyser. And the, if I don't know, people could see behind me, that crater behind me is where I remember the geyser. We flew over it when it was active and it went off. From the time that I was there, we were told that it went off randomly between six, every six or nine years. From a period time period of every six to nine years. So it could have been six years and six years and then six years and nine. It was kind of like a time frame. And it would go off for a few days only for a few days um, and shoot water about 11 or 12 kilometers into the into space and the water would evaporate and salt would snow back down and that's what those deposits are behind me is salt. So a lot of people when the dawn probe was out there they thought it was a city, you know, and they were like here we go but really it was salt and I called it out back then in 2016. And it wasn't until 2020 that NASA came back with the results and they said it is indeed salt. So I was validated with that. So it was a very big day for That's me.
0: awesome. That's awesome, Tony. So he's going to be talking about his experience, more experience on Ceres. And now most people have heard of the generalized term Cabal and Illuminati. And so you just need to briefly describe who they were.
1: So there's no real easy way to describe it, but basically it's a fraternity or group of people that's uh, bound together with their religion, and they've been around for thousands of years. They've got technology from ETs that gave them this. That you know they learned consciousness uh, technology, and what they're re- it's not really a religion to them. It's more of a technology, or a form of technology that they do to communicate with ETs other consciousnesses that are out slightly outside of our dimension or our time space. And they communicate and trade energies with them by doing things that we are not um, comfortable with. And so they get knowledge of past and future events. And that's how they've been able to seize wealth and materials and actually dominate the world. And they currently are a group of corporate uh, interests. There are people that own the major corporations are all on the same page. You can see this today. By how corporations are all on the same page with these with the things that have gone on, and I, there are buzzwords we won't say, but the, it, they used to be they used to be deniable that you could deny that there was a corporate uh, fraternity, but now you can't deny it because there are so many of them on the same page. We see them publicly working together, and what they are is people that had um, spiritual technologies given to them by ETs, perhaps 10, 12,000 years ago. And these are people that are very smart. We're talking some of them to have 300 IQ and they may have been alive the whole time. There may be eternal people that they have a technique of remembering their past life when they're born into their next one. So they are very advanced and they're very hard to deal with. And they're deeply rooted and seated in power today in our society, in our society. And they have access to all of the black military budget, the projects, all of it go through the corporations. And that's how they have access to space. So they're the first ones that got into space. And World War II was about money. World War uh, I'm sorry, World War I was about money. World War II was about interstellar flight. So that's when they really secured it for themselves, or at least some of them. And these people work, they fight amongst themselves, and we call them wars for us. So, but they're basically the ruling class.
0: Yeah, we get stuck in the middle. Now you did mention spirit. That's a great explanation, by the way. Tony, way, way to go. Um, you did an... Ent- mentioned spiritual technologies and I just want to say this for people is the other people I've talked to who are all part of programs they said overall in our universe let alone multiverse they would say that only 10% of the extraterrestrials are ones that we can't you know get along with. you also mentioned spiritual technology and I don't know how accurate this is but we also have chronovisors
1: right so yeah so there are a few different versions of them so they were based there there is a great deal of of temporal disturbances around jupiter regions of space around jupiter several that are actual bubbles that don't operate they don't have the they don't pass time the same way that we do so they set they put bases there and then they can communicate with the base and and actually write messages or send data into the past or the future so they can have chronovisor technology and look at public records, for instance, from the future and then um, see what they're who they're dealing with when they have somebody in the chair. They also have quantum computing that does the same for them, that does the same thing. There was a show on um, I believe it was Prime called Devs, where it was about quantum computing that could predict the future. It was totally based on chronovisor technology. And What's it called again? Devs D-E-V-S. So it was a mini-series, like a six part. And it really went into it really went into um detail on how a quantum computer could could be used for chrono. That was the story, you know, it was a like science fiction. But the reality is, is that they have this technology and they can look at probable futures. The future is always changeable, but they can get it down to a probability and uh the chronovisor technology. I spoke privately with uh Dr. Andrew bashago if you're familiar yes, with him from yes, Project. Project Megasis. And- Project Pegasus, well, he was aware of the chronovisor technology and we actually kind of traded information because he was curious um, about what I knew about it. And he uh, he, in a way validated, you know, he said, yep, that's exactly what I remember. Yes, but it's a technology. There are many several versions of it, but basically they could look into the future and know if somebody and when you go back to the to the subject of children. So I spoke about this even earlier today in, a, in another another show elsewhere. When you talk about children, some children, they can use this technology and see that they don't go on to leave a footprint. So if they come up missing, there's no real impact to the timeline. And they can also look at children and go, well, we take this guy, then he goes on to be a, he goes on to be a, you know what I mean, somebody more important. We can't because it'll affect the timeline. And that's how, the, that's the one of the technologies they're using. And they, the children that they can get away with taking, they trade them for goods or for technology with other ET races. So Many ETs look at us as if we are a service animal the same way we look at chickens or cows or geese or, or or lambs. We are animals. Well, we're livestock as livestock. Some ETs look at us like that. Most don't. And um, like you said, 10%, they they have, they're more involved in their self-interest and it's a logical assumption to them. And they, they treat us the same way that we treat farm animals.
0: And now um, people have heard about grays and reptilians. You've had a little bit of interaction with them early on for sure. And uh, what would you, what would you, uh, you know, just briefly say about them? So
1: I really have, it's, uh, it's a shame. I really have a hard time with names. So I don't remember the names of the ET races. So another contactee that's been uh, speaking publicly elena did is really good with the names but these guys that particular image came those were the ones that carried me out of my room in the, in- the initial abduction where there was a gray and then three or four of these guys that came in and carried me out of bed excuse me into a flash of light and i woke up in a laboratory and they were there and he was from a heavy gravity planet so they were they were smaller and stockier and much stronger and he was security. So when they took me from office to office during the return, when they were putting me back, they took me from office to office, getting uh, medical procedures done on me to erase my memory and re- regress me back into my original body. Um, he was the security. He was my chaperone because he was very strong and there was nothing I could do to get away from him. If, if that, if I chose to combat. So, um, okay. he was a normal person. I just want to say this, that, He wasn't evil he was a normal guy and it was just like hanging out with anybody else he had a family he went home he worked a nine to five he was there it was his job and he we communicated telepathically he had a great sense of humor and he was a he was a person just like we are people so
0: do you think he was a slave too
1: well he had it was a job so he was working you know we are all we're all basically working for money that depreciates in value and we get taxed. So we're all in a way, an economical slave in our system. And he was under the same exact system. So he said, and he told me that he said that he, you know, he had to keep working to pay his bills and he had a, he had a wife and kids back on and he worked, he went home to his planet that was very far away in our galaxy every day. So he, that his commute to work, he said, was about 30 minutes Hmm. that he rode that he had to wait at portal to the moon where he was based Mm -hmm.
0: And by the way, a lot of our audience is also Elena Denon's. So that'll give you, yeah, yeah. So when you mentioned her, they'll, you know, they'll tune into that. And also Grace folks come in many different sizes and some are called PLFs, which is uh, programmable life forms. So they're more robotic like, and you ran into a few of those too, right?
1: Absolutely. They were very robotic. Big
0: heads, big eyes and they are involved in many um contacts and abductions
1: very unempathetic and very dry exactly like a robot like no communication yep
0: right so just describe um briefly german this is a hard word for me nush ben landers
1: (laughs) so you're talking about the in in the antarctic so the the germans that went after well so there's a lot of um There's a lot of data about it, about Operation High Jump. There's a lot of researchers that cover it very thoroughly. There's a great deal. But on the ship that I worked on, I worked on a couple ships, and I was just repair on the first one, so I didn't have access. Like, I didn't get to look out the window. I had no idea where we were or or even if we were moving uh, for years. And then I got promoted, and on the second ship, I was cargo engineer, so I had an idea of how long of time between stops and where we were going. And we did go to what we called the high command, which was in Antarctica, and we would go. We would enter into a like a tu- an underwater tunnel that was in South America, and we would take that underwater to um, an underground base. Excuse me, an under ice base in Antarctica where they had established what we referred to as the high command. Mm-hmm. And we had to clean everything and get ready for inspection. We could have gotten trouble. Like the commanders of the ship could have gotten trouble, so they were outranked by where we went. And it was a big dome of. Uh, you know a big space under the under the ice sheet that was melted out where they had buildings and there were ruined there were old World War II vehicles just littering the landscape there and buildings that were off in the distance and our ship would park there I would look up and it was about forty seven fifty degrees in there it was it wasn't comfortable but it wasn't it wasn't too cold and um they had done the math on how long it would be until it was gonna till the ceiling was gonna collapse on them. It was gonna be a few hundred years. And um, they were based there. There was a lot going on there. There was I, supposedly there was technology there that they were using, but oh, it was classified, okay. so they didn't tell us why. But it, I guess it was a very prized um, facility in in the group in the organization or the Zero Hour or Middenocht Waf. Yes, which is what they called it.
0: Okay, and their space program was called Waffen too, wasn't Miden,
1: it? Middenocht. Off, the mid, mid midnight fleet or ah. zero hour. And the reason they called it zero hour is because it was to signify, they named it that when they gained the ability to have time travel that every hour, every, that whenever they enter in, whenever we entered a system or whenever there was something, when we showed up, they said zero hours here. Mm. And because it was always midnight, 12 midnight for them, they could always go back in time and start over. They had developed the ability to anti-telephone and actually ensure missions to success, or if a mission failed, they could cancel the mission before it left. And so they had the the, the ability to portal and travel great distances of time also gave the ability to travel, uh, excuse me, great distances of space, gave the ability to travel distances of time. And in fact, they're relative to each other. So the distance in space that they could go, there was also a capped distance of time into the future. They couldn't go a million years in the past, for instance, There was a certain distance, depending on the power output of the ship. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm kind of on a tangent. I'm going off. It's
0: cool. And I just want to put here. um, I don't know if you're up to speed with this, Anthony, because I know you're so busy with what you're doing, but there's incredible um, updated information about what's going on in uh, Antarctica right now by Michael Sala. I'm sure most of the listeners have listened to that. Uh, and I was told about it four years ago uh, when Emery Smith came public with that, that um, that uh, planet Earth Gaia would be one of the ones that provides disclosure because she's going to be melting the ice around these huge motherships and ships and stuff. So everyone's there right now, all kinds of stuff's going on with Antarctica and cl- we've cleared out a lot. So you can get that information with uh, Michael Sala and Elena Denon, but it's great to hear your earlier experience, Tony. But you might want to check that out, right?
1: So I do follow because of, I worked with my, Dr. Sala in the past. I just want to say this: and, you know, it's hard to, you know, I don't know how, um, you know, the etiquette of talking about somebody third person. But I worked with him in the past, and he really put me through the ringer and really made sure That's that funny. I was genuine before he endorsed me in any way. And even he retracted endorsements later. So he's, he's very stringent. So that's why I follow him specifically, because I know that people he, he is working with, he really vetted in a great way. So we're seeing a lot of people that are come forward today that are vetted in zero Mm -hmm. with no vetting. Mm -hmm. And we're getting a lot of, uh, I think, you know, I'm not saying they're not genuine people, but I think we're getting a lot of dots connected and not gen, not a hundred percent genuine information. And as well, we are getting ex-CIA people that are coming in and telling a pack of lies and leading us into a into a false narrative, saying that space is, uh, in fact, hard to reach once we get in space and we're only working with a small amount of of species when really there are, there's an endless amount of species that interact with us here and that we're working with up there. It's basically endless trillions of sentient worlds that we can access through portals and do do business with. And that's what's going on with Ceres Colony and with the ICC as well wow, I'm on a roll. Exactly.
0: You are on a roll. And I agree about Michael. When I talked to Emery early on, he said, Oh my God, he ran me through the ringer, had to see all my qualifications and everything. And that's a great thing. You know, it's a great thing. You'd rather have someone on that, that end than, you know, like, Oh, sure.
1: Like I said, I, I wouldn't speak about this if I didn't have evidence behind supporting me. I wouldn't speak. I've lost friends. I've lost, My family alienates me. Certain aspects of my family don't want to talk to me. They don't believe me. I know. And school uh, classmates don't talk to me anymore. But some of them. But the, reason, the thing is, I have a great deal of evidence that supports my claims. And absolutely. I've presented it in other inter- interviews. I will say that there are people coming forward now that have absolutely no memory. And because they're getting a regression and they're being told, that they were a super soldier and they're being told an entire story and then they're coming forward and saying like, look, I went through all this. And I go, I've met people at conferences and I go, well, what do you remember? Tell me what you remember. They go, Oh, I don't remember any of it. Mm-hmm. I was told, I was told in a regression yeah. that I did this. And so I, I just, I, I don't want to say that they're not genuine, but I want to say that I don't feel that they should be presenting their information until they have more infin- more evidence. That's all.
0: Exactly. And I'm a quantum healing hypnosis therapist too. And, and the therapy does work, but as most hypnotherapists are really good, no, you don't front load. Absolutely. You don't front load a session. You, you Mm -hmm. just come in, you don't lead them. You just let them, you know, you guide them.
1: Well, even on a session that comes that comes. So I haven't had that, but I've worked with a lot of people that had a session. They come to me for my memory course, which is a set of exercises, not a hypnosis Mm -hmm. and I uh, even if it's genuine they go into the hypnosis and they get all these memories back if they can't consciously remember them outside of the hypnosis then I just feel that you know I mean that should be developed first before you go and speak publicly about it like you should be able to see if you were on a ship you should be able to be able to draw me a sketch of the ship the inside where you were standing Uh you should be able to draw that and uh, before you speak about it publicly because we're at a very dangerous time with the information and obviously the narratives they're spending money on hijacking the narrative. Like there is a government agency that's actually spending dollars to, time. So that makes me feel, you know what I mean? Like that makes me feel special that they give us that attention. We must be important. But at Absolutely. the same time, we, we, need, we need actual people with a great deal of memory to, to speak out at this well, time.
0: Well, I agree. And, and at the same uh, point related to this is the cool thing that you've also done is you, at least the areas on earth, because you were off world a lot, but the areas on earth you went back to, to check out and find, right. Tell people about that too.
1: So, yeah. So merrily, honestly, when, if you think about, if you think about the things, you know, if you think about the things I'm saying, like they came back to me literally overnight and I couldn't believe it myself, you know, like I couldn't believe it myself. I, I really couldn't digest it all. And I was in, I was in a, not a shock, but I was in like a panic. I had to do some soul searching like I had memories that not only did they seem real, but they solved personal problems like once i could once I could remember that why I was claustrophobic, it went away. once I could remember why I was afraid of the dark, it went away and so these memories were fixing things that I'd lived with for since I was a very small, and I went, "Wow, so what do I do with this?" And then I went on Google Earth, I remembered physical places, Seattle and Peru in california and i went out and found it and when I, I looked and went oh my oh my god there there it is it's real The it's you know like things that i'd never looked at in my life or been in my life i knew my way or all of a sudden i had memories of places on earth and i i had to prove it to myself and i went back to the house in seattle oh, in my. september of 2016 i you know i Not only the house, but it's on one of the islands around Seattle. And I knew my way around the island very well. I knew the stores. I knew the gas stations. I knew. I went into the local store. We used to to go and get candy as kids when I lived there, you know, in a 20 and back. And I knew my way around. The store hasn't changed much. The prices went up, was the only thing different, but it was exact same as I remember it. And I was documenting this on the phone as I was doing it. But I knew where I went to the beach. I knew where the rocks were. I knew where the lighthouse was. I knew where there were you know i i could go on and on about it but it was to me to me that gave it was very validating and i thought this happened these are real there's no way i could have known this stuff like i don't know just a little bit a little vague i know this place like the back of my hand and i literally can prove i've never been here in my life in my organic life so in it, so i was there and it was in the same time it's not a past life memory because the people that owned me at the time were very publicly known and so I found newspaper articles and pictures of the time that I remember back then as well I described things that came pictures that came up in newspaper clippings later so yeah that was a great deal of evidence and it really gave me the confidence to speak you know to to speak more and then I since then I mean I've had I've hired private investigators I've had people you know internet researchers and I've come up with documents I've found um you know of the paper trail of the funding around the program in Seattle, around the Inuker. I found a a lot of information and actually people involved people that are deceased, I found obituaries and on and on and on. And so that's the kind of things that, you know, you, because you have to, you have to convince a skeptic. It's not enough. It's not enough for me to tell a researcher that already knows half of what I'm saying is true by hearing it. (laughs) I have to tell somebody that has, that doesn't believe in UFOs that I worked on one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm so glad you explained that for the people because it's all about fear. You know, they just don't want to go there. Tons of people have sleeping disorders and tons of those people have had contact and, you know, and did you find once you could validate that in 3D in real life and on earth that some of the post-traumatic stress left you?
1: Oh, absolutely. Talking about it has been the greatest amount of therapy I could have ever asked for.
0: integration and I wish more people realized that, you know, but don't get, there was... don't get me to swear, but peer pressure. <laughs>
1: okay, mm-hmm.
0: I'm serious. So, it's there... like it's like I understand my you know family, friends, whatever. But at the same time, because you are a forerunner, and I believe that's part of the destiny of your soul and life, is you're going to have more and more and more people come right. and validate you. So. You know, we have to get confident enough in ourselves where we just go, okay, fine, whatever, because there's enough people that are committed to open minded, expansive, critical thinking (laughs) and do some depth of research that are wanting to find out, because I definitely found out that the more I know everyone's so afraid, like, how can you deal with all that stuff? I'm like, are you kidding? The more, you know. The more you put the pieces together, the more you understand everything, the more you have discernment to not fall into the games and go to war because someone wants you to go to war, which is bogus. You know, it's like, right,
1: if you don't have
0: that, you're just going, oh, okay, and believing everything.
1: Well, so many people that don't believe it now believe everything they're told and they don't see that they don't see the mechanism that's programming them in the other direction, like sub subliminal programming and subconscious programming don't work if you're aware that you're being programmed and people that don't want to believe in they're being told not to believe in this um, genre, or if you will, this whole subject matter, they don't believe in it, but they they are following the programming that they've been programmed their whole life. And so once you, once you accept it, you know, I always knew something happened. So I was always looking outside of it and it's easy to see the programming take place and how oh, other people fall.
0: Incredible. From nine 11 on, you know, like the Hergilian, you know, to Oh
1: well, play. they, they've gotten to the point where it's kind of, they, they lost control for a minute. They lost control. And so we got to see them actually play their hand, you know, a great deal of people have been awakened from it. You know, it's not just it's not just people in the ufology field, but people in many different aspects, you know, of corporate uh, and watching how the laws work and how the world's being governed right now. A lot of people realize that something's up, that, hey, not everybody should be able to be on the same page as quickly as they are. these corporations and governments are working daily. You know, they're they're pivoting on a dime all in unison. So that doesn't make any sense. Theoretically, they shouldn't be able to do that. So that's where we're kind of where we're at so we're pre-disclosure we're on the verge of they're going to have to tell us this stuff and my information will go to the wayside because we're going to get new and and live information and people that come with new information are really what people are craving so my account is history i you know it happened to me back in the 80s to the year 2000
0: don't under undermine yourself no pun intended because i know you were taken to the mines once (laughs) Mm -hmm don't undermine yourself okay let's do a a, one or two terms and then people are going to be really fascinated by more of your story so the 20 and back you've probably heard a lot but it involves time displacement and involves a lot of things so uh tony so you said you're 50 now
1: 50 and naturally okay
0: Okay. (laughs) but when you reincarnated in you would be 70 right
1: that's right so and,
0: you're basically attracted to, to older women.
1: <laughs> pretty much. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what happened. When I got back, right? I was 10 years old, and I was suddenly attracted to adult women, and I didn't know why. Yeah. Because I had just been 30 years old the day before, and um, exactly. I had lived, a, you know, an, an adult life. I had a job, yeah. and I had relationships. I had a life, and then went back to 10 years old, and had the memories erased, and I still had the emotional development that I went through. That's the thing is they erase your memories, but I still was emotionally developed and actually emotionally damaged. I was very badly damaged from what I'd been through. And so I carried that with, when I went back, I was a different person. I was a changed person. The time travel aspect is the hardest thing for people to get their head around. Why would they do that? You know, there's so many questions that arise from it, but it's we whole, don't know. It's
0: show in of, of itself, but we've been doing it for a long time. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and that, People, it's, I think that the time travel aspect is something that we as, you know, earth humans right now are just not built to comprehend, to process correctly. You know what I mean? We just, we live, we don't live and we don't realize. And we do, we do time travel. All People time. do know. People do time. know. We were just talking about it earlier. Like, you can be with somebody and time can flash time travels more quickly with some people than it does with others there are things that happen you know when you drive there there you know there are modes you go into modes of thinking and time doesn't it just you never get there are we there yet so we we experience time differently but we just chalk it all up because we all have a watch on so we don't understand really that that aspect of it but time is not time space is not what we've been led to believe it's a closely guarded secret because they don't want us to access what they have you know, and, they're, they're, you know, once we're, we're, they got, we're inside the fence. And so outside the fence is the technology of how to really deal with time travel and, and many other technologies. Coming
0: down. <laughs>
1: it's right. Coming
0: down. It's already coming down. So, yeah. So basically though, people will be curious. So, um, you, grew, okay, so let's, let's just start, uh, you guys got enough terms going on. Let's just start with, uh, when you were nine years old. Kind of, or wherever you want to start. And we'll get up to uh when they 20 him back to you. But go ahead and start because you have so many fascinating things to share.
1: At the time I was an outstanding student. I was in third grade and I tested uh very high on some tests. And so in fourth grade, they started a talented and gifted program in my school. And I went to that and we met it was the top five percent of the school of kids, went met every Wednesday morning or it was like wednesday at 10 a.m or something in the library and we did advanced research uh learning and there was a kid there that said that his dad was an illuminati and what's your dad do and he was a very arrogant person and so i didn't like him we didn't like each other and uh you know he would pick on me i would pick on him it was right we were rivals and when his his dad who he said was an illuminati and which i didn't know what i said what is that like a banker or something What what <laughs> and <Yes. laughs> I didn't know what it was. His dad came in and was the judge for the science fair in April of that year. So that was from the school year of 81 to 82 and at the time I was 9 at the beginning of that year and I was 10 by uh, April. My birthday's in February. And so uh his dad came in and was a judge and he pointed me out to him when I walked by him in the cafeteria setting up our our exhibits. He said, "That's that boy I told you about." And that was on a Wednesday. It was the following day a Thursday that I was taken and did a 20 and back and i woke up on friday morning you know after so i was taken and i lived for 20 years i had no memory of my mom or dad or whatever i had my memories erased i lived for 20 years i went to inyo kern i went to peru i was in like a a psychic training program after a mind fracturing mk ultra like trauma-based mind control program and i went to peru i'm sorry i'm skipping you just asked for the school but, um, you know, and then I was eventually sold off into secret space programs, went to the Moon, Mars, and Ceres colony, where I did missions throughout the galaxy and elsewhere, even other galaxies. So, yeah, so my very first stop was after, after the Inyo Kern, when I went through the, the MKUltra, the mind control program, I went through a remote viewing program and they were drugging us and putting us near to death. And they would give us a, some drug that brought us close to death and in that state, it would last for a, an hour or so. They could ask us questions, and other entities, like adult consciousnesses, would talk through me. And they could ask questions. And they were putting me on. They shipped me off to Puerto tawantinsuyo Peru, which is now, I believe, Boca, Colorado. They renamed it. It's Puerto tawantinsuyo Peru, a river town. That's it, too. That's it. And the airfield is off to the right about a mile, a little more than a mile maybe. I think there's an airfield. But uh, that was a little town, a little river town, and um, up the rivers. So, and this is funny because I said this in 2015, I went on to research it, but actually that, the uh, mountainside that's south of that town, there's a, there's a, there's a ridge of mountains is the, the most um, productive uh, area where, where the coca plant naturally grows. So they were built, they were in the jungles, they were refining and making, manufacturing cocaine. And they would bring it down the river to that town and they would store it until they had a plane load. And then they would fly the plane load to Santa Marta, Columbia and drop it. And it would find its way to a ship and then go to America. They had lost a plane before I went there, a plane had went down. And so they paid to have me on it. And they would give me that drug after we got up in the air for a couple hours, they would give me that drug and I would be a warning system if there were going to be police or bad weather or whatever it was. And they had a, basically a, a, automated psychic program on board. And that's what I did. And they paid money to have me there and do that. And I was there for two summers uh, or so, two summer, two rainy seasons. And I lost the ability right around right when I began uh, puberty. So that was like from 10 to 11 to 12, 12 and a half. And then they sold me, they sent me back to Seattle where I lived for two more years and I had an incompatible, I was allergic to uh, pills they were giving me and they sold me to the military at that point.